This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to White Ladies in Crisis. It's a podcast dedicated to chronicling the unraveling of white ladies. And of course, we're talking about Apple TV's physical season one, episode eight. Let's not and say we did. I'm Joe Lipset, and I'm joined as always by the lovely Gina Radcliffe. Hello. As well as Jen Adams. Okay, so ladies, we talked last week about how the show was adopting a slightly different structure, and then this episode keeps it up, so we touch base with John Bream, we touch base with Greta, we get less Tai Tai and more Bunny, and then we get that expected blowout with Sheila and her parents. Yes, I am continually amazed by... um cliffhangers that i feel like are relationship enders or drastically (laughs) relationship changers that continue on i'm kind of impressed with the characters abilities to kind of like mend and keep moving on you know Mm -hmm. how is your whole world not falling apart after this i know (laughs) like how are you still with your husband or like are you still staying at this friend's house they're just chatting yeah I, I just want to say that 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 I, I want to offer my most sincere apologies to Danny, oh. because 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 Danny actually has really risen in esteem in my eyes since this episode. He's come around, hasn't he? The, yeah, I love this conversation that he has with what's his name, Jack. 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 I called him self help because I couldn't remember. His I, name. I think I'm pretty sure it's Jack. <laughs> yes, yeah, Jack and Tanya or Jack and mm-hmm. Tanya, right? <laughs> I really enjoyed that conversation because especially after seeing them go toe to toe in front of an audience in the last episode, this felt like real people kind of licking their wounds, hashing it out. You could understand the relationship between these two a lot more clearly. And I think mm-hmm. and I think it's also proof that Jack kind of maybe agrees with him a little bit about yeah. about how much how much he has changed and you know I want to say he probably you know, unfairly blames Tanya for it. Mm-hmm. But but you know he does not he acts almost chastened more than angry about being confronted in front of other people like that like you know oh, you got me you know, you're the only mm-hmm. you're, you're the only one that has the guts to tell you know, tell me how it really is and you know that actually means they, they actually really are friends even though yes. their chemistry doesn't quite feel like it mm-hmm. but you know, someone you could kind of call out on their bullshit and they're still offered a picture of a drink later that's probably someone who is actually your friend totally yeah yeah it's people who used to be close friends and they've grown apart but they can come back together even though they're in very different mental spaces right yeah i did get the impression because obviously they went to la and specifically to stay with jack and tanya so that they could raise money and then we found out in the last episode that the money the passing of the hat thing was not going to happen And from this conversation, I distinctly get the impression that this was Tanya saying, oh, no, we're not doing that. That's gauche. We're we're not those people anymore. And I actually Mm -hmm. think Jack probably would have been a little bit more amenable to helping Danny out in that way. 
Mm-hmm, well, she's probably so. the, the the one that sort of pulls the strings on 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 how they maintain appearances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like kind of how he presents himself, right? To, you know, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, there's a difference between, because you get the sense that he and Jerry, too, also, they were, like, college friends who, like, had a lot of really big ideas. Yeah. And, like, there's a difference between having a lot of ideas and kind of hashing them out and kind of maybe disagreeing and agreeing sometimes. And then as you start to mature and get older and live your life, you start to, like, live out those beliefs. And sometimes when they're just kind of even slightly askew, they can go in, like, drastically different directions. And I think that's kind of what we see here. And with the people that you align yourself with or the people that you marry kind of have influence over that, too. Mm. Well, it's interesting because you both Jerry and probably Jack to a certain extent, you know, accuse Danny of sort of being under Sheila's control when (laughs) when when Jack is very much under Tanya's control. Uh-huh. Oh my God, that moment where she just keeps calling him to bed because she's pregnant, horny, and mm-hmm. he keeps saying like, "In a fucking minute," and, and, he's compla- <laughs> and, and he's complaining that she's too demanding on him that way. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I I don't know if that's meant to be funny. Like, oh, you know, you you know, get out of here, man, complaining about having too much sex. But I, I can imagine for a certain after a certain point that gets to be exhausting. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's exa- if exhausting for a woman to have a demanding partner, you know, it stands to reason that it'll be exhausting for a man too. And also on top of whatever else he has to be doing to promote this book he's written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a, a humbling moment, wasn't it? Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And, and him admitting to Danny that he was jealous because he wanted Sheila when they were younger and Danny, you know, you're the one she chose. And then, that was that was an interesting moment. Mm-hmm. It really threw me for a loop, to be honest, because I mean, I don't even know that we saw Jack and Sheila interact at all. So it felt like it really came out of left field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jack definitely feels like like that he started as Danny's friend that Sheila just sort of you know adopted as you adopt your partner's friends to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we know that they had sex at some point, but I mean, oh right, you know, a yes. lot of stuff happens in college. I mm. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I so. want to come back to this thing that you said, Gina, though, because you said I don't know if we're meant to find it funny, and I'll confess, tonally, this episode kind of threw me for a loop on the whole because I didn't find anything funny in this episode no, like no, this no, was no. a straight up dramatic episode yeah mm-hmm. and it was and it really mostly focused on kind of giving some humanity and dimension to the male characters which it was really needed because some of the well, except for jerry but no, but jerry. uh <laughs> uh but like you get to see like you know, john bream admits how unhappy he is and that scene mm-hmm. just chilled me the, the way his wife just reacted to just that walks away mm-hmm. he literally says i'm not happy and she just turns her back and walks out of the room like like mm-hmm. basically saying you know well i don't need, i don't know how to help you and and you've got ernie being embarrassed about his uh his his fetish being revealed and oh i mm-hmm. feel like a monster and i i wanted to protect you from this and 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 you've got Danny being very protective of Sheila and dealing with her parents and, and, you know, and then Tyler admitting that he doesn't entirely have it all together and he's worried about being a good partner for Bunny. And, and you know, it was all just, you know, really interesting moments focusing on the male characters. 
Mm-hmm. And giving them kind of some depth, which is, I mean, we've complained about several of these characters that we're talking about. <laughs> Just a few times. <laughs> I, exactly. Yeah. So it was it was refreshing, I think, to kind of see and not just depth to the characters, but to the relationships, too, and the way that they're interacting. And I think um, some people were standing up for themselves for the first time. And some people were kind of sharing really touching moments like the the interaction with Danny and Sheila really, really moved me. And I liked that. I liked Danny a lot in this episode. Yeah, Danny, Danny actually like stood up for her. I mean, granted, uh-huh. the, the the confrontation we expected to have with the parents kind of more happened in her imagination. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and he never interacted with them at all. But but you could tell that just an immediate like you know just like you know you you guys have probably been with partners or maybe partners now who have a toxic person in their life where it's like well I'm just going to talk to him for like a minute. No, you're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. because i i know how it's going to make you feel yeah yeah we know something quote-unquote bad happened to have, had to have happened between Sheila and her parents at some point right because mm-hmm. it's been building up to that but the impression that you get is it's because she married danny yeah mm-hmm. maybe they didn't like him because he's jewish or because he's poor or you know, his family is unsuitable but no it's because she has chosen to distance herself from them because spoiler for people who haven't watched this episode yet it is revealed that they failed to act when she was sexually assaulted by a friend Ooh. of her by a friend of her father's mm-hmm. i was unprepared for this I was too. like i was so taken aback i i think i actually paused the episode and just had to be like wait what oh mm-hmm. no it's actually it's actually worse than you think what what right. you know what what happened between them. And then when I heard that I was like, "Oh, it's like there was a missing puzzle piece and it's like so many things kind of came into yeah, focus." Yeah, it, ex- you know? it explains her her to a certain extent her eating disorder because a lot of you know a lot of individuals who have eating disorders have a, a history of you know, child molestation or sexual mm-hmm. assault in their past mm-hmm. be- because you just you can't deal with your body and and people mm-hmm. looking at your body in that way did you notice when she was talking about um who she was when it happened she was like 13 round face and she said soft belly mm-hmm. like oh. that was that was a big turning point i think for her yeah and i think I loved the way that this played out in this episode because I found it really, really authentic to the way that um, Sheila would experience this and would experience this relationship with her parents. And I think the thing that I really loved about Danny is that for what he knows now, because he doesn't really know about the the workout tape yet. Mm-hmm. So for all of the information that he has, this interaction with her parents benefits him. It really only benefits him because it would be money for their campaign. And he still doesn't want her to do it, which I thought was really, I, I really appreciated that from his character. But what we see is that he still goes with her, you know, like he is still in the car, even though he is really opposed to this. He trusts her to know this is your relationship with your parents. I'm going to support you. And I say that as my husband, Corey, and I both have like really complicated relationships with our parents. And there's like this element of it's your family. I will support you no matter what you decide to do. I'm going to tell you what I think you should do. And I want you to take care of yourself. And he's like, are you sure you want to do this? But then when she decides that she does, he backs her up, which I really appreciated from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And what what else I thought was interesting is in her interactions with her parents and and Jen, you called it that 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 is Wendy Malick playing her mom. It is excellent, yes. excellent eyes there, and Ray Wise playing her <laughs> wow, dad. Yes, and, and, and another another so creepy good. creepy rich dad. Yep, perfectly cast for that role too. Oh yeah, totally. She is very cold with them. And, and mm-hmm. her, like, you would think that the way she shows up at their house, that she's going to sort of, you know, beg them to help her. Yeah. But no, mm-hmm. she's like, she's like, I need money. You know, I'll let you see Maya for a minute if you give me money. Mm-hmm. And she's so explicit with that, like, blackmail yeah. kind oh, she's of, She's you know? ruthless. This yeah, was she, cold. She, you know, they, you know, they want to know why she wants the money. She won't tell them. She's just, she just, she just, well, we need the money. And, mm-hmm. and she does, she does not blink for a second, which is, which is. You know, an interesting way to you know portray someone who just does not have anything to do with their parents. Because sometimes, you know, speaking of personal experience, when you are around a parent who has mistreated you in the past, you kind of shrink a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and you you <laughs> yep. go you go back to feeling like you know the a person child. you were when they yeah when they you know mistreated you. Mm-hmm. But but she just you know she has that conversation and that whole situation and you know she's in control there. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I, I found that really, really interesting. Yeah, we've never seen Sheila so strong before, mm-hmm. right? Like, she's never been able to stand up for herself unless it's kind of a, a clap back at Jerry. And even then, she needs to work up, you know, she's she needs that inner monologue to be working and kicking and stuff. And here, particularly in this episode, we're once again seeing her actively working against the inner monologue. Like, mm-hmm. the inner voice is telling her not to say things, and she is instead saying them. But here, she seems very in control, adamant, I'm loving this conversation and your perspectives because I went into this episode expecting something, not getting it, being frustrated and a little disappointed, and your perspectives are really reshaping the way that I'm processing the episode because I wanted more from this confrontation. I wanted it to be longer. It just didn't go the way I expected, and now I'm hearing it from your points of view, and I, I think I need to reappraise how I feel. I particularly loved the confrontation at the end. And I, because I, I, for one, loved how angry it was, yes. you know, because I feel like when you are saying things like that, and we know it's not the first time she said it because she's told her mom. And I feel like they are all aware of what the situation is. But like when you say that, you, you're either going to cry or you're going to yell and smash things. And I loved the way it was like the rage was just boiling out of her and like getting all of their like fine China stuff, you know. Ugh, I so wanted that to be real, though. I know. But, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but here's why I liked that it wasn't real. I feel like my wishful thinking wanted it to be because that's the kind of confrontation I want to have. Mm-hmm. And I've had confrontations like that with my parents in my head a lot of times. Right. Yeah. But yep. it's one, another thing to actually have it, you know? Yeah. And it's like we get that peek inside of her head of what she would really say if there were no consequences to saying it. And then we get the realization of it does create consequences when you say that. It it is really hard and really scary to say those things out loud, which is why I was so... She's being really cold and ruthless, but I loved it. It's like oh, she's yeah, standing totally. up for herself. You know, she's not hiding what she wants, and she's not hiding who she is or why she's mad. Mm-hmm. I do, I do love it. Also, says more about you know the long term aspects of their relationship and and how it's changed is when they do for real go to the house and Danny and Maya wait outside, mm-hmm. and Sheila instead just you know throws around a couple flower pots and like tears up their flower bed. 
Mm-hmm. And, and then you can hear Danny say, that's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. I love that. And I was like, okay, she has shown this sort of spark in the past. And, and yeah. you know, that it's something he actually might admire as long as it's not directed at him. <laughs> yeah. But it's kind of something that she has kept hidden in recent years. But, mm-hmm. but this is bringing, bringing it back for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because she's like tiptoeing up to the conversation she wants to have and like peering over the flower pot and then knocking the flower pot over and then running away, which is a step, you know, if you haven't said anything or if it's been years, you know, or if you are dealing with this need to have this confrontation by binging and purging, then, you know, this is a positive step forward. And I think like one of the things that in the last episode, I think that triggers her is when the woman, the terrible woman in the party says, and I realized it wasn't really about food. It was about control. And I think that's what she really wants. She wants to have control in this relationship and control of the narrative of what happened to her. And this is just kind of a step towards getting it. And she's been trying to find that control in other places that are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's interesting to me, Gina, that you said so much of this episode is about exploring the men. And, you Mm -hmm. know, you both said it's about deepening their characters. And I don't disagree with that. But I really took away all of the female agency, right? Like it's Greta taking control of her relationship with Ernie. It's Sheila breaking the flower pots. It's, I mean, Bunny to a lesser extent. I think we need to have like a full conversation about what is going on with Bunny. But even, Mm -hmm. you know, John Bream's wife actually getting up the courage to ask him what is going on. She ultimately Mm -hmm. does back down. But I think it's a symptom of her agency that she doesn't then make breakfast the next day and she's working out to Sheila's tape when mm-hmm. her husband tells her that he is unhappy. Like, she doesn't know what to do with that, but she does know what to do for herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I even realized that she was at that party where Sheila was selling the videotapes, the color the color party. I didn't know either. I was like, where did she either. get that? Oh, wow. She is like almost a blank slate like we clearly should have realized she was at that party right. didn't didn't clock her which would suggest that she's a friend of greta's so that you know that would be an interesting way of kind of yeah bringing them together at some point it kind of makes sense right because they're in the money circle right right i almost want to go back and watch all the parties <laughs> yeah i know maybe she was just wearing the wrong color and that's why we didn't oh right her. yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. she was probably wearing a summer when she should have been in autumn I know, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm kind of thinking about what we're saying about the men and the women deepening conversations. And I think it's kind of both because I think what what I noticed about the men and what I was really appreciative of is that the women are finding a lot of agency and standing up Mm -hmm. for themselves and the men Mm -hmm. are taking it pretty well. Yeah, they are. Compared to what we've seen in past episodes when like Danny has this nice conversation with Sheila and then the next morning he's like fucking banging on his coffee mug for her, you know? I feel like all the relationships, the central relationships, like had this moment of honesty in this episode that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. And I mean, I loved seeing John Bream. Like, I loved a male character saying, I'm not happy in Ooh. like an emotional way and not a you are letting me down way. Right. He, he, he didn't blame her at all. Exactly. And you don't get the feeling that it's because of her either. No. You know, there's so much more going on there, but. Ugh. Yeah, there, there's little moments embedded in this episode that are so clear, like that moment when Jack says that he wished he had been with Sheila and then having to watch how Danny processes that like, oh, I guess I mm. did win against this LA bigwig. But then mm-hmm. also the moment where John Breen, 
I think one of the reasons that he's afraid to swim, and I love that we have to keep coming back to it, why doesn't a character like water on this show? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Do you get the impression that his brother died when they That's were swimming what I in the he was lake? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Probably. Mm-hmm. It just, like, it's such a subtle way to reveal it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, being, he's being very cagey about it. So I don't know. Or, or, or his uh, his father. Right. Because the the mother said, oh, remember your father died at your age or something like that. So that would have mm. been about mm-hmm. right. I mean, it's possible that the maybe the brother also died. Maybe the father died trying to rescue him or something. And then mm-hmm. surely the wife knows what's up about it, but he's not particularly comfortable talking about the specifics of it do you think that he was trying to kill himself by jumping in the pool because i didn't realize how severe that would be in the last episode because we just saw him in the pool and then to cut back to see him like almost drowning in the deep end i'm torn between trying to kill himself and maybe hoping that he would suddenly remember how to swim again Mm, yeah okay i could see that it definitely felt like a cry for help like i don't think he planned for it that way it it felt impulsive to me but also mm-hmm. this is something that if it happens then i guess it'll be what happens mm-hmm. i did think yeah. it's funny too that we end up getting two different dream conversations it's revealed that john bream's son actually saw him and the mom in the pool and then he brushes it off as a dream like oh i'm sure you're just watching too much fantasy island before you go mm-hmm. to bed but then we also get Danny talking about a dream where he can't protect Sheila and Maya from a mountain lion in mm. the L.A. house. I don't know quite what to make of it, apart from the fact that I think it's people's way of processing what they're feeling. Like, I, I find dreams to be very prophetic in a certain way. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting that so many characters are actually getting in touch with their emotions and they're trying to find ways to verbalize what they're feeling, even if they sometimes have to come out as, I had a dream. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think we've spent a lot of time talking and focused on, and I say us and the show, focused on the way the patriarchy harms women, Mm -hmm. but it harms men also. And I think that's kind of like a glimpse into that because it presents this standard of what a man in quotation marks should be. And it's this really strong protector. Like when, um, when John Bream is asking his son, like, Oh, did you dream about me saving the world? Hopefully it's like, this is what I'm expected to be. And maybe that's part of why he doesn't feel happy. It's like, these are my expectations and I, they're impossible for anyone to live up to. God, Yeah. (laughs) Which is also, you know, something that that, that uh, Jack is kind of getting at with... with Oh, the sky-high expectations. Oh, yeah. uh-huh, his, the second his, book. His writing career and, you know, Tanya need to maintain a certain image and... Mm-hmm. Pleasing her all the time. There's a parallel there, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We really have had a lot of conversations about, like, men being propped up as almost figureheads by the women who are doing all the hard work. And it's very interesting to now see the cracks that that has caused you're right jen that i think it's the patriarchy it's capitalism this drive Mm -hmm. for people to be successful and how it hurts both genders in different ways Mm -hmm. well we're also getting into the mid-80s discovery that depression is a thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh that new thing that's a fad yeah where Mm -hmm. where people started taking prescription medication for it instead of you you drinking or you using cocaine or whatever (laughs) right we're not we're not we're not quite there yet but (laughs) this is the this is the the the, you know the nascent 
period for that where people are starting to say, hey, I have feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, particularly particularly men we, uh, who are just coming out of the John Wayne era of you, you just did not talk about that shit. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, what's funny is because Tyler also has this moment of feeling really ashamed of himself and just not coming home because he's afraid to own up to Bunny about what he has done with their money. And, mm-hmm. and I love how accepting she is of it, you know, and it's such a sweet little moment between the two of them. He's like, I dig you. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, yeah, I'm into you, <laughs> which is like his Yeah, uh, I, guess he, I guess he, I guess he, I guess he's not into Sheila after all. I think he's, the, I, I guess Bunny is his number one gal. Yeah, I think he's still fascinated by Sheila and still kind of digs her. I think he wants her approval, but that isn't yeah. necessarily this that isn't necessarily the same thing as wanting to be in a relationship with her or sleep with her. Yeah, or like actively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious, Jen, because I actually get the impression, not from Tyler's perspective, but from Bunny's perspective, I don't think that she fully forgives him. I think that she just doesn't know how to process her trauma and I'm really worried about her statement that she doesn't have anyone else or she doesn't have a backup plan. Like it's all him. Mm -hmm. I'll confess I'm perplexed by this, not by her reaction to having a random man masturbate in front of her on the beach. Mm -hmm. But I guess this moment didn't ring fully authentic to me because from what we know of Bunny as a character, I don't believe for a second that she wouldn't have had her guard up around this guy the whole time. Yeah, I was surprised at that because I don't think that she is the type of person who would get so lonely that she would reach out for that kind of connection. I see her kind of turning that inward and internalizing it and just getting like pulling the the harsh shade down, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's. Another moment that I think hit me a little bit wrong, as much as I do think it's sweet when they have that moment, I think a lot of that is because of my um, my well-documented crush on Tyler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's something, like, he is apologizing to her, and I have such complicated feelings about that. I think I'm still kind of tiring to tease them apart because he didn't do anything wrong. He just wasn't there for her. And so then I think, what is his role in this relationship? And I think if they weren't living in a van, I would view it a little differently because I do think Bunny is very capable of taking care of herself, but she also is living in a dangerous situation just inherently. And so, and I'm still kind of piecing it together. So I don't really have a conclusion, but there is something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about the whole interaction it just felt really unfinished you know because even his surprise that she has a knife i'm like she lives in a van at the beach of course she has a knife she's funny (laughs) of course she has a knife like i don't know i i did notice that this episode was written by a man i actually meant to check Mm. and see if he had written any of the previous episodes but some of this just the grasp on the characters wasn't fully there for me well, and we haven't had a whole lot of time to develop the Bunny and Tyler relationship. Like, what it was, what, four episodes in, maybe before we even realized they were a couple. Or, well, Joe, you called it, I think, from the <laughs> beginning. But we didn't get confirmation of that until later. So I feel like part of that is if we just had more background on this relationship and saw them interacting with each other more, I think that might have informed some of this a little bit more, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you there, that they, they, they needed to do this sooner yeah establishing the the dimensions of their relationship 
and I, I definitely get the sense that they may need each other more than they love each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they definitely do care about each other. Oh, but sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They definitely care about each other, but I don't know that I would call it a, you know, that they're in love. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. that they, you know, I think that, you know, I'm completely, you know, just writing a background for these characters. I have no... <laughs> We're not doing fan fiction. Yeah. Right. But I feel like Bunny may have just shown up. Bunny's almost certainly not from there. Right. Mm-hmm. We know at minimum she has escaped from a, an immigrant family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we know that English is not her first language. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that she has, as as we said, she's attempted to make herself appear to be Caucasian. Right. So I think that she is sort of a runaway that you know ended up on you know in this beach town, and then her and Tyler just kind of found each other. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if she's living on the beach and he's a surfer, then it stands to reason that they just met at the beach and maybe struck up right. a relationship of convenience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. W- was it established whose van that actually is? No. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get the sense that it's Tyler's, but I wonder if that's just the patriarchy coloring my assumption that he would own the car. <laughs> yeah, no, which is I why know. I wondered if maybe he, maybe it's just her living there because he seems surprised by the knife and normally, yeah. unless she's been hiding it from him the entire time. Oh my God, how we have gone so deep down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. I think they are good partners for each other like they Mm -hmm. seem to genuinely trust and care for each other and yeah the romantic relationship is interesting yeah and i hope we get more developments of all of that yeah i'm like oh gosh we only have two more episodes left in the season and i feel like we're only just beginning like we need so much more time with these characters yeah and and the problem the problem is i think we're you know the three of us are the only people that are watching this show so (laughs) i i I don't know if they're gonna bring it back or not i have not heard anything about renewing for a second season no but apple tv needs content so yeah yeah they've got a lot of money too that's true this is fair yeah yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that any of their shows are really getting a huge audience. But, there we but, go. Yeah, it's Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso. I think is really the yeah. Ted Lasso. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to give a shout out to Sewage Joe. <laughs> I don't love his character. I don't like that he jerks off to Bunny on the beach, but I love that character from Parks and Rec. And it was, it was <laughs> he basically just walked off of the set of Parks and Rec onto the beach, and I just it was a nice moment of. Oh, yeah. That, he looks so familiar. I, I kept trying to place him, and then I was like, oh, apparently now we're whipping out dicks. Never mind. <laughs> well, well, and that is something that he does on Parks and Rec, too, which was part of... There we go. You know, it's very tight on, on brand <laughs> for him. I was going to say, that, that's, uh, that's quite some typecasting there. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Character actor known for whipping out dick. Got it. Yep, yep. It's pipecasting, maybe. That's <laughs> a Parks and Rec joke. <laughs> God. So speaking of romance, there's one final pairing that we haven't addressed too, too much. What do we think of the kind of burgeoning re-romance between Greta and Ernie in the wake of their, I mean, she did in fact shave her head and... Doesn't look bad on her. I yeah. think it looks good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's pretty flattering. She didn't shave it all the way down, which is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of a flattering look on her. She looks very confident with it, which is which is. Which I is like interesting. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she, it feels like she's happy with it, too, you know? I think when she realizes that it wasn't a mistake, when she gets that confirmation from Ernie that it's not just okay, but that he actually finds her very sexy and attractive, and then we get 
you know, a nice sex scene between the two of them. And you think, okay, this is good. You know, she took a risk and it paid off very nicely. Mm hmm. I loved the way this conversation happened too, especially the realization like when he feels like violated that she knows this thing about him. I found that really, I'm glad they went there because I feel like that's a really human reaction to your significant other finding out that you have this kink that you feel really ashamed of. And I'm not saying he should be ashamed, but he clearly has been and has been hiding a piece of who he is for a long time. And to find out that your significant other already knew about that, like there is a, a moment of violation that he feels, which I found really honest. And then I loved that she felt bad about that and that they were able to work through that together. Mm-hmm. It was just so, it was so great. Well, I, I really liked how, you know, Ernie just kind of went to this like range of emotions. Mm-hmm. He, he's shocked that she discovered, you know, his fetish. You know, he, he is hurt and, and angry that she invaded his privacy, which, you know, fair. You know, he, he, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he, uh, you had a right to be, to be upset at that, you know, and then ashamed and then a little turned on, which is, which is an interesting <laughs> range of emotions in about, you know, two minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I believed all of them. I don't know who that actor is, but that's the most I've ever liked Ernie. Oh, Ian Gomez. He's lovely. Yeah. yeah. Usually he plays very comedic roles. Like he's the kind of kooky neighbor on Cougar Town. Oh, <laughs> No, I I think it was kind of a lovely juxtaposition from not just what we've seen of that couple in the past, but some of the other couples. Like, this was an episode where a lot of couples came together to realize that they have a mutual interest in moving forward together. But Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a strong investment in Ernie and Greta. Like, I was interested in Greta. And mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like we knew about Ernie and I didn't really care when I got to know him. But mm-hmm. even just, you know, the very obvious, easy moment to get me over onto his side the next morning when, mm-hmm. you know, she turns off the TV and you think, oh, great. Okay, we're back to normal. And the kids are making fun of her weight. And then he claps back at them and tells them, no, don't say stuff like that. And then she turns on the TV and gives him a little wink. And he's like, enjoy your time in the pool, babe. It's yeah. It was so cute. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. And you get the sense that's how his kids have heard him talk to her yes. or about people. Because kids, I mean, I guess you pick it up from places. They're little, they're little a lot sponges. Of times- yeah, exactly. And like you're around your parents more than you're around most people. And so and so I was like, OK, maybe this can be the start of him being a more positive role model just because they seem to be in a better place. They also mentioned him staying in the basement for like a lot of time. And so note him like taking responsibility for his children while she gets to go have a break is something right. I think we've seen Danny really kind of reject in a lot of ways. And it was kind of one of those things at the time that was not like they would say, oh, he's babysitting his own kids. You know, right. so I appreciated him just being willing to do that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm very interested to see where this relationship will go moving forward mm-hmm. in the future. It feels like we're on a bit of a precipice, which... I will say I was almost a little disappointed that we end this episode with Sheila and Danny returning home and you think, okay, we're finally going to get a nice moment. Like they're both excited to be back in their own space. They kind of accomplished what they set out to do, but they realize that, okay, we, we actually do like each other. We have each other's backs. We saw this great new side to Danny. And of course we come back to fucking Jerry holding up the money logs <laughs> and we just I know hate it's, Jerry. it's all going to go to shit now. 
I, mm. I don't know. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Or actually make an observation? Absolutely. The woman that's in Jerry's bed, she's dead, isn't she? I, I 100% thought she was thought dead, she was too. Dead. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think she still is dead. I mean, yeah. should, should I should I wait till we make predictions as to what I think is going to happen? Yeah. yeah, hit us with your predictions, Gina. So I think that she is dead. Yeah. Whether she died of a drug overdose or mm-hmm. you know whatever, I mean, I don't think he killed her. I think she. No. That, I, I think that she. This is just a woman he picked up. At first, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was Simone. What's her face, Simone? Yeah. But but, mm. but that he was like, oh no, you know, my roommate's also my boss or something like that. Like, well, Simone would already know that, right? So this is you know presumably some woman he just picked up, and you know, let's say that she died of a drug overdose, and I think that. Sheila is going to use that as leverage. You know, we'll hide this if you mm-hmm. if you don't say anything about the money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I'm just kind of it's a really grim kind of humor, but I'm just thinking about him like lording this over them, like ha ha. See, I got you now, without realizing that the girl is dead in the bedroom of their home. Mm-hmm. Although the way that these cliffhangers have typically bounced out the next episode, like. I don't know if she's actually going to be dead. I kind of wish that that I don't wish that person to be dead, but I wish that for that as far as plot. I mm, I don't know if I want that because I, that was my immediate reaction as well, Gina. I, as soon as he said, "Hey, get up," and then she didn't move, I thought, "Oh, she's fucking dead." She's dead. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I really thought we were going to have bodies piling up. I did think this was going to be Breaking Bad, the Lady Edition. And I was kind of happy that it was avoiding some of that more dark crime stuff. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if I want to see them trying to hide a body or if we have to bring cops into this or something like that. So I kind of hope that she's not dead. But if she is, it's 100% going to be how they keep Jerry quiet. Yeah. Or maybe that they have to take her to the hospital. But here's my thing. The thing that really pissed me off about Jerry in this episode (laughs) is the fact (laughs) that there is nothing for him to be quiet about. Like, they're presenting this. It it stood out to me. I'm sorry. I'm tripping over my words because I'm just so mad at him. But, like, he gives Sheila shit earlier in the season about not wanting to talk to her parents and, like, makes her feel shame for that. Now that we know why, like, that just makes him so much more of an asshole. And I don't know if he actually understands that. But, like, the fact that she's got these two logs, like, she's not covering up crime. She's covering up an eating disorder, you know? And these are not, they should not be things for her to be ashamed of. Now, she did steal $1,000 from Bunny, which is not okay. I'm not (laughs) condoning that. But, like, the log isn't going to say, money I stole, you know? I don't know. But it just makes me mad. It's like... This should be an awakening that Sheila needs help, not a realization that Sheila is terrible. And I feel like that's what Jerry wants, you know? Right, right. Well, I think the reality is is that I don't think there's any love lost between Jerry and Sheila. So I mm-hmm. 100% believe that he will see this as his opportunity to get on Danny's good side and to fuck Sheila over. And mm-hmm. yeah, just because he's that kind of prick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to come at a moment where it does seem like they have really connected mm-hmm. is sad. I mean, fuck Jerry. Really. <laughs> fuck Jerry. The mantra of this show. Yeah, Jerry, right. Jerry, Jerry gets no dimension. He's the only he's the only male character who doesn't come away from this episode seeming slightly yeah. slightly better. 
No. Yeah. <laughs> what if the next episode is him going to rehab because this woman has oh OD'd God. in his bed and he like saves her life and then we're like, oh, Jerry, I really loved him in this episode. <laughs> Suddenly we're on Jerry's side. No, I don't I know. think that's no, going to happen. Never, that's going to be happen. a heavy lift. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Jen, do you have any forecast about what you think might happen? Two episodes left. Oh, I don't know. I can tell you what I want to happen is for them to start mass making the tapes. Now, here's the thing that I noticed is John Bream does see this tape. Yes. And we know he kind of has a thing for Sheila, although Mm -hmm. I don't know if he's even really admitted that to himself. Right. But I wonder if he will approach her about mass marketing this tape. So Mm. that's the, the hopeful thing that I want to happen because I don't want I want good things for Sheila now. Yeah, these last two episodes have been really perplexing because they feel like they have started to deviate the show from really where we expected or rather thought it was going to go. Mm -hmm. So I'm very uncertain about what's going to happen next. Like, I don't know if we're going to get anything more about the tapes or is it just going to be really focused on, okay, the money stuff is now going to have to come out and we're going to be hiding that body and that's where the next Mm -hmm. 30 minutes are going to be dedicated. Right. Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Well, questions aplenty. Gina, if people want to speculate with you, how would they do so? I am the co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast in which we talk about horror movies according to the characters. Recent episodes around that'll be coming out around the time this episode goes live are uh, Evil Speak with Clint Howard. <laughs> Interestingly enough, released the same year that this TV show predominantly takes place, 1981. Okay. Although there's not, I, I, I would like to put out, there's not a single mention of anybody going to see Evil Speak, so that, that, right. that, uh, <laughs> that, 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 you know, slightly dims the, uh, the TV show's esteem in my eyes. Hmm. <laughs> and we also just recorded an episode on Death Spa. Yes, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and I am on Twitter under Porcelain72. Okay. <laughs> and Jen, if people want to talk about the Thai Thai Club, how would they do so? <laughs> um, you can find me at Jen Ferratu on social places. And you can also find me co-hosting The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast where... We just finished an episode on Lord of the Flies, which is very influential to a lot of King's writing. So that was interesting. Mm. It was a first read for me. And then you can also find me co-hosting the Psychoanalysis podcast. And we are reigning episode right now as Phobias and Snakes on a Plane. Oh, God. We've been talking about a lot of heavy stuff this year. And we were like, we're going to give ourselves a break. Yeah, might or fair. Right. And then I think yesterday, as as of the release of this episode in the future time continuum, I think we've just done a commentary on Fear Street 1994. So nice. That's kind of, we're kind of taking the <laughs> taking the gas pedal down a little bit and like, OK, we're going to lighten it up for for summer. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, if folks want to get in touch with me, you can do so at B Stole My Remote. And that's the letter B. And of course, I have my own podcast that talks about ridiculous horror movies on the regular. And that's <laughs> Horror Queers out every Wednesday. So, yes, we will be back next week with episode 9 of Physical. In the meantime, please check out the other shows on the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. And, uh, yeah, until then, maybe stay out of the pool for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> just, like, lay out on, on the lawn, the chairs, you know? Mm-hmm. Know your limitations. <laughs> yeah, wear sunscreen. There we go. <laughs> Don't make animal sounds while you're, you know. Oh, God. <laughs> getting busy. <laughs> And with that, goodbye.
Pod Squad.